Well, grab your Bibles and open them up to Galatians chapter 5. We are in week 15 of this series. Can you believe that already? Week 15 and some of you are like, yeah, we've been hearing the same sermon for 15 weeks. And that is sometimes how it has felt. You know, when Lee set up this series before he went away on sabbatical, he set it up as going to be 19 weeks in the book of Galatians, 13 different people, but it's 19 of the same sermons just with 13 different voices. So you get another one today. Um, When preparing to take, or pardon me, I'm jumping ahead. Again, man, we've been at it for a while. That's it. And hopefully you've been tracking along with us in the book of Galatians. And if you had to sum up the theme, the main theme of the book of Galatians in one word, what would you say it is? Hey, thanks. Jason was here in the first gathering. So it's kind of cheating, but freedom. Yes, that is correct. Freedom. Paul says freedom, 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 freedom to live fully, freedom to love, freedom to serve, freedom from sin, freedom from the law, freedom. Why was this such an important idea to Paul, specifically with the Galatians? Well, we know that there was a faction inside the church made up of some old school Jewish believers who, who believed that and they actually, and they taught, they didn't just believe it, they taught it both in word and in like passive aggressive actions, that in order for somebody to really be a Christian, they had to have faith in Jesus, but they also had to follow the law. And as we've studied this book, we've seen that the main issue when it came to the law, I'm sure it wasn't the only one, but the main one was that of circumcision. And before Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the thing that marked you as a follower of Yahweh was circumcision. So these Judaizers are saying, yes, you need to have faith in Jesus, but also you need to be circumcised. And in that way of acting and teaching these things, they were saying that these non-Jewish converts to Christianity were on the right track, but they hadn't quite arrived just yet. Kind of like a second-class Christian, really. And this classism, right, this racism, really, was not just ugly and destructive because of the fact that classism and racism are ugly and destructive inherently. It's also because the people who were being looked down on were starting to actually believe that this was true. And Paul was having none of it. He was saying to both the Gentile and Jewish believers, it's faith in Jesus, period. You, you are, I am, all of us who are in Jesus are saved by grace through faith and are free from having to keep the law in order to be justified. Right? That means made right with God. We meet his requirements through faith in Jesus, period. That's it. We can't earn it. Last week, Sam walked us through verses 1 to 12 of this chapter in which Paul basically said, look, if circumcision plays any part in earning salvation, then what Jesus did on the cross was ultimately pointless. Salvation cannot be earned by works of the law or anything else that we try to do. So why would the Judaizers, let's make it a little more personal, why would we, because we're in this too, why would we place on anyone else expectations that not even God has set. It doesn't make any sense, but we do this all the time, right? Those guys over there, they say they're Christians, but they don't. 
Or I'm a real Christian because I believe in Jesus, but I also do this. Why? Why do we do this? We should not do this. Because as soon as we add requirements outside of faith in Jesus, what he did on the cross becomes unnecessary. It's like what Paul said back in chapter 2. If keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. We could just check our boxes and go on with our day, confident that we've earned our spot, right? There's no need for Jesus. But we actually can't do that. Try as we might. And Paul is basically yelling at the Galatians, right? Like this is an all caps text. He even says this this way himself at the end of this letter in chapter six. He says, notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words with my own handwriting. Can you imagine like he's got pages where he's just like, no, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised, want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. Look, it's not about what we do. It's about the cross. The cross of Christ alone can save. And that makes us free. Freedom. Paul says freedom. Freedom, freedom, freedom. And then we get to chapter 5, verse 13, and it kind of shifts a little bit. So let's read this together. This is our passage. Chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. It says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. There it is again. Don't go back to trusting the law, right? Because you were called by God to freedom. You were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So here we go. We finally have it. It's a thing that you've all been waiting for, right? Each week, our preaching team has been careful to have at least one little bit of their sermon where they address the issue that freedom does not necessarily mean license or it doesn't mean license right just because we're free from the law it doesn't mean that we can run hog wild and do whatever we want which drives some people crazy i mean some of you are like jennifer lawrence on her hot ones episode like what do you mean what do you mean because the rule followers and the box checkers right you guys are like but we still have to be holy right we still need to work hard right and the rebels and the free living folk are like but If we're in Jesus, we can do whatever we want, right? Sin's not as big a deal anymore. This week and next week, we're going to get into the discussion of liberty versus license, freedom versus anarchy. This week is more of a bird's eye view. Next week's going to get down into some very specific behaviors associated with freedom and license. It's going to be a good time. Plan to be here. This morning, we're going to spend the time that we have left looking at our calling to freedom, how we should not live it out how we should live it out, and the potential consequences that come as a result of misunderstanding that freedom. So let's get up in the air and take a look at what we've got here. The first thing that we see in our passage is you were called to freedom. Bit of a spoiler, all the points are just straight lifted from the passage today. For you were called to freedom, brothers. As always, ladies, please remember you're included in this. You're being left out of the circumcision discussion, but you're part of this. What were you called to? Freedom, yeah. 
Paul doesn't say holiness. Paul doesn't say righteousness or obedience, though we'll get to those things. Those things are an outworking of the freedom that we have in Christ. You know, you were called to freedom. But like Jennifer Lawrence was asking, she was asking this specific question about Galatians 5. What do we mean by freedom? Because this is a word that gets a lot of use today. Us Protestants, we love our freedom, right? And it's not just the kind that Paul's talking about here. I mean, we're grateful that we don't have to perform some kind of ritual or penance to absolve ourselves from sin, but our love of freedom stretches far past the boundaries of these walls. Canada and our rebellious older brother to the south there, America, they were founded on freedom. We have freedom written into our DNA. We have expressly communicated rights of freedom in our laws, in our constitutions, freedom of religion, of speech, of thought, freedom to do what we want with our property. Now, recently, these freedoms have come under the microscope. Now, before you start cheering or booing, I am not making a partisan political commentary here. Regardless of how you feel about those freedoms, to whom they should be afforded, or how they should be exercised, people have been looking at freedom very closely. Because we all want to be free. We all want to live in freedom, but it turns out that each of us has a different idea as to what that means. If I were to get each of you to write down a sentence or two describing what living in freedom would look like for you, my guess is that we'd have a pretty wide assortment of answers. Some would say it would mean the government butting out of their life. Some would say it would mean expressing their sexuality however they like, wherever they like. Some would say it's getting out of their marriage. Others would say it's finally graduating and getting out of their parents' home. Some would say it would mean freeing ourselves from the shackles of religion, right? Like just accepting the fact that we're a cosmic mistake and we should all put our heads together and just push human evolution forward. If I could paint us all with a really broad stroke here and boil it down to its most basic state, I would say that most of us think that freedom means being able to say or do or think whatever we want. No, no, again, broad strokes. I decide what's good. I decide what's right. Now, the majority of you in this room would probably never say that freedom means that I can just do whatever I want. I mean, you wouldn't say that. But like it or not, that's what you're doing. That's how you're living. And to an extent, that's how it should be. We should live out our convictions Right? We should live the way that we want to, but what we want and our convictions should be grounded in God's word and not just our feelings on the matter. One of my favorite verses to quote in sermons is Jeremiah 17.9. I think I'm like, I've, this is like 98% of sermons I've preached have had this passage in here. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We can't trust our hearts. Freedom. We want freedom. We think it. We say it. But in the words of an old Spanish theologian, you'll keep using that word. (laughs) I do not think it means what I think it means. I didn't even read that right. I can't even read it right. You see it. So what does it mean? How are we to live out our freedom the way that God intended? That brings us to point number two, and it starts with a way that we shouldn't do it. Point number two is do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Look, we were called to freedom, which 
obviously means jump on the pendulum and swing way out there, right? Do whatever you want. No. I mean, you probably don't think that, but Paul is addressing this. He says that's a mistake. It's a misunderstanding of your freedom. It's an abuse of it. The Greek word aforme, that's translated opportunity here. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity. It's a, it's a bit of a military feel. It, it's kind of used to describe the staging ground from which a military offensive would be launched. So he's saying, while exercising your freedom, don't give the flesh a place to work from. And we're not talking about our bodies specifically, our flesh, our sinful nature. When you're exercising your freedom, don't give sin a staging ground from which it will launch an offensive against you. Don't do it. But some would say, I have freedom. Yes, you do. Jesus died for my sin. Yes, he did. He gives me grace. Yes, he does. I'm not punished for sin. Thank God that you're not. But, but Crossridge, sin is still sin. It's still sin. It's still offensive to God. It's still damaging to us and those around us. And while we're free from having to keep the law perfectly in order to be justified before God, the law is still there. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Read this. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Look, Jesus came to fulfill not abolish the law. If we minimize the law, we suffer. If we champion it, we'll be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But check this out. It doesn't say that if you relax one of these commandments, you will not enter the kingdom. It doesn't say that. Like if you make a mistake, you're out. These two groups are in. The maximizers and the minimizers, both of them are in. Because Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But by the grace of God through faith in Jesus, remember that's the kicker, right? Faith in Jesus. Through faith, Jesus' own righteousness has been applied to us. And his righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. We have that. But we shouldn't use that amazing gift as a staging ground for sin. Don't do it, Paul says, but we do it anyway. It's wild how we justify what we do. Every one of us. And we should be able to justify everything that we do, the good things and the bad things, right? We should be able to give a reason for the choices we make. And next week, we're going to get a bit more specific about our behaviors, but we all make bad choices, good choices, whatever, based on ultimately what we want to do in our freedom. And when those decisions are not directed by God's Spirit or God's Word, we find ourselves looking for ways to justify our actions, right? Like, I need this, but I'm not getting it God's way. It's not coming to me, so I'm just going to get it this way. Or this isn't hurting anyone, so it's fine. Or this isn't something that's going to destroy me. I can handle it, so it's fine. 
Some in their freedom have come to the conclusion that sin is actually no longer a thing. There's no such thing as sin for the Christian because of what Jesus did on the cross. His forgiveness is so massive that it actually makes it so that nothing that I do is sin. And don't get me wrong, his forgiveness is massive, but he didn't come to abolish the law. It's not gone. Sin isn't gone. It will be one day, but not today. And Crossroads, this isn't some out there belief that I saw on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. I have had this conversation with people in this church, people who have sat through sermon after sermon here. They've studied their Bibles and they've come to the conclusion that they can live however they want because there is no sin. Guys, that's not true. We're not slaves to the law. We can't be saved by the law. When we break it, we have forgiveness. We have Jesus' righteousness. And because of Jesus, God accepts us fully. But sin is still offensive to God. It's still dangerous. Tim Keller said this, the gospel tells us that God is so holy that nothing short of complete payment for sins and the perfect righteousness of Christ can satisfy him. On the other hand, the gospel tells us that God is so loving that we can receive his perfect righteousness now and stand complete in God's sight. The gospel, therefore, neither leads us to live a guilty life, since God has lovingly accepted us, nor an unholy life, since the God who has accepted us is perfectly holy. To forget the first is to fall into the mistake that Paul deals with in verse 1 of chapter 5 and lose our freedom. To forget the second is to make the verse 13 error and abuse our freedom. Both mean we lose grasp of the gospel. Live free. Don't submit to a yoke of slavery to the law, but don't let your freedom be the thing that makes you lose grasp of the gospel. Again, I'm not talking specifics this week, but you probably have some specifics in your mind right now, don't you? You know the things that you're holding on to, the opportunities that you're giving to your flesh, and you're probably worried that I'm going to say them out loud and that you're going to make you stop those things. Not this week, maybe next week. But here's the deal. That's all of us. I'm right there with you. In prepping for this, I've been reminded of how lightly I often take sin. I think this is in all of us. Paul didn't even limit this message just to the Galatians. Romans chapter 6. And I, I, bear with me, I'm going to read a long chunk of Scripture here from, from chapter 6. Paul says this, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Quick side note, little side plug here for baptism. If you know, you're reading this, Paul's assumption was that if you're a believer, you were baptized also. If, that's, if you are a believer and you have not been, come talk to me afterwards. I would love to chat with you. Fill out a Connect card. Let, you, let us know you want to talk to somebody about baptism. We would love to get that sorted with you. That's it. Verse 6. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. 
Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Notice, notice the progression of that. You can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey his teachings we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. We are free from the law. But our response to that freedom should be such that we're actually driven to holiness. Away from sin. And as we'll see next week, the fruit of the Spirit, that's what we're going to be talking about, the fruit that comes from the freedom that we have in Christ is different. It is counter to the fruit of the flesh, the fruit of self. So what is it right now that you are doing or thinking or saying in the freedom that you have in Christ that is giving sin a staging ground in your life? Hear Paul's words. Hear God's words for you this morning. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. It has awful consequences. So how do we make sure that we don't misuse our freedom? Point three, through love, serve one another. Verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but instead, through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Through love, serve one another. Does that strike you as odd? I mean, serving others is a major theme in the Bible, so it shouldn't come as a total surprise. But do you ever feel like it's, this, this section here is a bit out of place? Like Paul says, don't use freedom to give an opportunity to your sinful desires. Instead, right, not also, this isn't a new thought. This is a continuation of that thought. Instead of doing this, do this. Serve others in love. Serving others in love is the opposite of giving opportunity for sin. And why does he say that this is what we should do in verse 14? He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law, this whole thing that the Judaizers were saying, you got to do this, we're told you can do it all by loving and serving others. Now for some of you, loving yourself is not something that you're very good at. For most people in this room, loving yourself is not a problem. Actually, it's a problem but it's a different kind of a problem. So much of our sin comes in trying to give ourselves what ourselves want, right? It's selfishness, it's self. And Paul says an antidote for selfishness is serving others in love. Great. How do we do that? 
Like, is it shaking? Are you, are you ushering, shaking hands in the morning? Is that serving one another in love? So if you came early enough, you got to have an Italian soda. Is that serving one another in love? Probably. Paul gives us some very specific examples here, though, in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. So you want to serve somebody in love? This is how. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. A life lived Loving and serving the way that we see in 1 Corinthians 13 gives actually very little room, very little opportunity for sin, for self, for the flesh. Others, serving others. Others are a big part of this. God has always intended us to live our life in community. God does not intend for His children to live in solitude. Hear me. We have a live stream because if you're sick and you want to stay home, there's a chance for you to... Live stream is not church. Coming together, to be together, to serve one another in love, we actually have to see each other face to face. If our call is to freedom and we're to exercise that freedom by serving our neighbors in love, what do we need to have? Neighbors. We actually have to have people in our lives. But people are the worst, right? People complain. Other people are sinners. Other people eat weird. Other people have daddy issues. Other people say really rude things to me. Other people don't know how to raise their kids. Other people are, other people are exactly the same as me. Exactly the same. The same as you, right? You are broken. You are afraid you are irritable. You are prone to lash out when others push your buttons. You, I'm saying me too, you, all of us, walk around with a resting grumpy face and get grumpier when people ask you why you're grumpy. You're lonely, you're self-conscious, you're insecure, and yet somehow at the same time, you're totally and completely sure you're right. You're quick to judge and you expect everyone to understand where you're coming from and accept the fact that you are right. So does everyone else. How do we fight sinful desires? By humbling ourselves and serving others in love. By expressing the gospel to one another through service. Through extending to others the grace that you have willingly taken and applied to yourself and said, God accepts me, but not you, because you're the worst. Right? That's what we do. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, we see them now. We see them, others. No longer as hateful people who are trying to rob us of our rights, trying to beat us in the race for money or position or fame. We see them as we see ourselves, us, victims of sin and of Satan. That's the person you're sitting next to. The dupes of the God of this world as fellow creatures who are under the wrath of God and hell-bound. We have an entirely new view of them. We see them to be exactly as we are ourselves, and we are both in a terrible predicament. And we can do nothing, but both of us together must run to Christ and avail ourselves of His wonderful grace. 
We begin to enjoy it together, and then we want to share it together. That is how it works. It is the only way whereby we can ever do unto others as we would that they should do unto us. It is when we are really loving our neighbor as ourselves because we have been delivered from the thraldom of self that we begin to enjoy the glorious liberty of the children of God. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do we protect ourselves from our own selfish desires? We serve others in love. That's what we do. And what happens if we don't? What happens when we don't serve others in love? That brings us to our last point. Number four, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Verse 15, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Look, if we're reading this correctly, and and I think we are, the outworking of a life lived giving opportunity for the flesh is not only self-destructive, which it is, but it leads to the biting and devouring of one another and ultimately to the consumption of the church. This passage has been an interesting one for me because it started out so personal, right? And then it turns all of a sudden corporate. Starts by addressing our own selfish desires and it says the fix for that is loving others. Recently I went for physio for a knee injury. I I was telling earlier, I had pain right here. Not here, not here, not over here, not up here. And she took a look at my knee and she's like, yeah, oh no, you've done something really horrible there. So she prescribed me some exercises. She gave me a list. I went home and I opened them up. Not a single one of them had anything to do with right here. It was this and this and my stomach, like my core. What? I want like dry needling right there. Fix it painkillers, something that I can stretch and feel the relief right there. But that's not what she prescribed. Why? Not because she doesn't know what she's talking about, but because she does. And she understands that that part of my knee is fully dependent on the rest of the muscles of the rest of my body. And I have chosen to neglect and abuse those muscles Every chance I get. And the Old Testament is filled with stories of one person's sin, even hidden stuff, wrecking it for a whole lot of people. In the New Testament, Jesus commands His disciples to love everyone, saying the defining feature of His followers would be love for one another. But when we use our freedoms to give opportunity to the flesh, the ripples of that threaten Christian community. Even when we think we're keeping something to ourselves, it affects the whole church. We may not think the hurt and the bitterness that we are carrying around is hidden from others. We might think it is, but it's not. It comes out. Our selfishness, it comes out. Our families see it. Our coworkers see it. Look in the mirror. That face, do you think that's hiding the stuff? You should look in the mirror at your face. It's not hiding it. And the stuff that's inside us actually changes how we act on the outside. 
It might be subtle, but it comes out. And when it does, it comes out often in the form of biting and devouring those around us, right? Bickering, condescension, lashing out. John Calvin said that we have to remember when the devil tempts us to disputes, that the disagreements of members within the church can lead to nothing but ruin and consumption of the whole body. How unhappy, how mad it is that we who are members of the same body should voluntarily conspire together for mutual destruction. That's what we do. We work together to destroy ourselves. That's what happens when we use our freedom to give opportunity to the flesh. When we don't actively and intentionally serve others in love. And sadly, this happens all the time, right? The last couple of years have seen a bit of an uptick in podcasts and documentaries about churches and religious organizations that are imploding because their leadership was choosing to give opportunity to the flesh. It's so sad. And guys, we are not immune to that here at all. There has been biting and devouring here. We've walked through some stuff as a church in the last 12 years. Some of it pretty recently. Wink, you probably know what I'm talking about. And there was probably a time when some of you, myself included, wondered if we were going to make it. If we weren't going to consume each other. By God's grace, that didn't happen. The threat is still there, but it didn't happen. And it's my prayer that we will continually be reminded of our desperate need for Jesus, that we would be humble, that we would not give an opportunity to the flesh, that we would serve one another in love, and that as a result, we can know Jesus more and make Him known. Because that's the mission. To know Jesus and to make Him known. And we do that through faith in Jesus, not through legalism, not through license, but primarily through serving one another in love. Wouldn't that be amazing? I, I, there was a comment on a Google ad. I didn't say this to the earlier crowd. There was, I saw a Google thing that we have. Somebody commented about some people talking on the sidewalk and it was disparaging. It wasn't great. How amazing would it be if the comments on the Google thing instead were, I walked by this church and man, those people are weird. They love each other. They're bending over backwards to care for one another and for those in their community. That's the mission. That's how we let people know about Jesus. That's what I want our church to be about. I do want us to be known for our faithfulness to God's Word in preaching, right? For defending right doctrine, for doing the right things, for not stepping back, for promoting the gospel. But we've got to be about loving one another. Because as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, just earlier than the passage we read earlier, if I could speak all the languages of earth, and of angels, but didn't love others, I would be only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, 
I would be nothing if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. All those other things, they're not not good things. They're good things. But if it's done without love, if it's done just for self, it's worthless. And we don't want to give our lives to a mission that's worthless. And the, the truth is, it's not. The mission is actually amazing. <laughs> it's the opposite. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the fact that you love us the way that you do and that you have told us that we're supposed to love others the way that you love us. And God, I pray that you would show us how to do that. I pray that you would point out the areas in our life that are actually making it so that we can't that are actually making it so that we are causing ourselves to bite and devour one another. God, help us, help us, help us. We thank you for your spirit and the fact that you do give us the resources to obey you the way that you want us to. We thank you that you let us be free, but God, we pray that we would not use our freedom to give opportunity to sin in our lives, keep us accountable to one another. Um, we thank you for letting us be part of a church together where we get to, to do that together, that we get to love each other this way. So we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.